This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. With so much in the news lately about high-profile Christians, both laymen and clergy, breaking their wedding vows and ruining their marriages, the Spin team takes the issue head-on. When does sexual sin become adultery, and how should we view it? Keep listening to hear their thoughts on the issue. And stay tuned until the end of the podcast where we'll tell you how to download a free MP3 message from the Alliance. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Todd Pruitt and Yoko Ono. And, uh, today, actually that was a rather flippant beginning for a serious, uh, serious topic, but uh, today we're actually going to be discussing something very serious. Uh, It's a hardy perennial of the Christian world and sadly a hardy perennial of the pastoral ministry throughout the centuries. And that is the problem of sexual immorality and adultery uh, among Christians and perhaps particularly among members of the ministry, among members of the clergy. Uh, Adultery has hit the headlines recently in a number of high-profile cases. I don't know a single minister who couldn't regale you with stories of five, six, ten, twelve ministerial colleagues who've crashed and burned through sexual immorality, through adultery over the last decade or 15 years. So this is a very, very pressing topic. Uh, Todd, preliminary thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly been in the headlines recently, and I was thinking about that just a second ago and, and almost wanting to say, when, when isn't it in, in the headlines? However, it has been in the last few weeks with the Ashley Madison 
uh, Revelations, um, the Josh Duggar thing, uh, Tully and Chivijan, etc., that just in the last few weeks we've, we've had an unusual spike in some of the attention uh, regarding the sin of adultery. Uh, Christianity Today just re- wrote, uh, ran an article the other day about how uh, this coming Sunday, which as we record this was yesterday, uh, there could be some 400 pastors resign because their names were on the Ashley Madison list. And um, I haven't heard what the uh, outcome of that was, but you, you think about it, and uh, one statistic I saw was that there were three zip codes in the entire United States that did not have an Ashley Madison account, one in Arkansas and two in Alaska. Every other zip code across the United States had Ashley Madison accounts. And certainly among those accounts would have been men in the ministry. And what a tragedy that is. It's a tragedy for their churches, a tragedy for their families, a tragedy for uh, the name and reputation of Christ um, uh, in our country. And so this is a serious sin. It continues to dog the church. Those of us that are in pastoral ministry find ourselves dealing with this, um, either the aftermath or... Or, the, or what seems sometimes to be the inevitable build-up towards adultery. We're dealing with this on a regular basis in our churches. And it's hurting the church and hurting the reputation of Christ. I was reading an article recently just about um, the real cost to the spouse of an adulterer. And it really shook me up because I identified with so many things that this woman, woman listed, not in, not in my marriage, but with um, some you know, dear friends that I love or people that I know. And um, so it's not just affecting pastors, Mm -hmm. but regular, ordinary families. And so often, you know, she was saying we like to candy the words and, you know, talk about marriage problems or or little things like this. And we don't talk about the horror, the true evil that Mm -hmm. um, happens in adultery. And um, it really made me think, as, as a child of divorce, um, what happens to children in a marriage. And I think that's where I really identified with some of the things that uh, she was saying, um, just the identity crisis mm-hmm. that that gives a child. Um, who am I now? Your whole reality of what your family was completely dies. Yeah. And so you feel like kind of damaged goods, collateral mm-hmm. even, um, forced to choose sides between parents um, you're the product of something that pretty much failed. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot to think about there. It's a whole new reality. Yeah, and it's a reminder, as something we've said before on this program, that all, not all sins are exactly the same. Yeah. Right. While, while all sins are equally, we might be able to say, equally damning, not all sins are equally damaging. And adultery is one of those sins that is particularly damaging. And one of the things we've seen, in my opinion, from one of the high-profile cases just recently of, of a clergyman is that uh, he seems to be treating a, a a lethal hit and run like a parking ticket. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I heard him on a podcast, and it sounded you know, he was talking about uh, committing adultery as if it was picking up a parking ticket. Right. And right. I was, you know, a man should take care if he thinks he stands, lest he falls. But from my position at that point, as I listened to him, I'm thinking, you know, if I cheated on my wife. I hope I wouldn't be able to articulate the words without tears rolling right. down my cheeks. Yeah. You know, that's, there's a certain godly sorrow mm-hmm. that is a hallmark of true repentance. Mm-hmm. And of course, that, what you're pointing to there, Todd, 
points us back to the need to have some kind of theological framework for understanding mm-hmm. the seriousness of adultery. Right. And before the program started, I was pointing you both to an article written by a, a former Aberdeen colleague of mine now at Notre Dame, Professor Francesca Murphy. Uh, on gay marriage. Now, Francesca is a Roman Catholic, so she comes at the marriage issue from Roman Catholic perspective, mm-hmm. seeing it as a sacrament. But I was struck when she wrote this article in First Things on gay marriage that she used the language of gay marriage as a blasphemy. Mm. Now, again, that language, the use of that language arises out of a very different understanding of the significance of marriage that uh, Roman Catholicism has. But it made me think, When you look at Ephesians 5, for example, that close analogy that's drawn between the relationship between Christ and the church and a man and his wife, the breach of that marital relationship by adultery, I'm inclined to think that, yes, maybe one could say that there's a sense in which blasphemy is not too strong a word Mm -hmm. for what's going on there. Not Mm -hmm. all sins a blasphemy. Right, right. But adultery seems to me to, it strikes at the very heart of, you know, Paul can't talk about marriage without talking about Christ right. and the church. So if you tear marriage apart, in Paul's mind, he's going to be going very quickly to the tearing apart of Christ mm-hmm. and the church. Yeah. That, I think, shows some of the theological significance that lies behind marriage and points to the seriousness of adultery. And so, in a sense, then, if, if we take Ephesians 5 seriously, and this mystery that Paul points out, that he, he, he talks back and forth about marriage, the husband's relationship with the wife, and, and Christ's relationship with the church as though they are very closely knit, one representative of the other, that then adultery is blasphemous in the sense or at least akin to blasphemy, in that it's a tarnishing of Christ. It's a tarnishing of his character, of his love for the church. And that's why we would say that adultery isn't just like every other sin. It's also a tarnishing of a human being made in the image of God, mm-hmm. which I think is another theological way of looking mm-hmm. at it, too. Mm-hmm. Is um, You know, your husband, your wife is, is ma- made in the image of God, and... Mm-hmm. What have you done to them when they now need to go get tested for STDs? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that's just, you know, the extreme case there, yeah. but it's, it's happened so often. And then that person's left feeling completely worthless. Yeah. yeah. You, you've yeah. treated them as though they are simply there to service your appetites. Right. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the one that you've committed adultery with serves that mm-hmm. purpose. The one that you've committed adultery against because mm-hmm. they, you, you have some sort of rationale. It's dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's deeply humiliating, too, what you've done to that person. Yeah, so. yeah. Of course, those who want to, to level all sins would go, for example, to uh, Christ's words in the Sermon right. on the Mount in Matthew 5, uh, 27. You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Isn't Jesus saying there, guys, that you know, if I look at a woman inappropriately as she walks past me on the street – well, I might as well go and commit adultery with her because there's nothing to lose. Is that what Jesus is saying there? It's all the yeah. same. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and clearly I think that, that what we have there is Jesus appropriately saying that all sins are equally damning, that, that if, if you just conform outward behavior to certain standards, but your heart is still 
in its sinful condition, you haven't merited any favor towards God. That's a powerful and, and needful um, truth for us to understand. But if, if Jesus was leveling all sin at that point and saying that the physical act of adultery or, or, or having lust in your heart is just as bad and just as damaging as the physical act of adultery, he would say, I think, Carl, what, what you were kind of intimating there in, in your rhetorical question, then you, if you've lusted in your heart, then why not complete it with the physical act? Yeah. Because you haven't added anything to it at that point. Yeah, and yet Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that if the sexual act, an inappropriate sexual act, is consummated, mm-hmm. something serious has gone on. Right. If you join, you know, put it bluntly, you join your private parts with those of a prostitute, mm-hmm. you've united the body of Christ with that of a prostitute. Right. And that is a, you know, that's a particularly heinous Issue. What Paul doesn't do in Corinthians is say, hey, everybody's a sinner. Treat everybody the same. He singles out the sexual immoral and he guns for them. Now, Corinth was a port town. There would have been a lot of sexual immorality in Corinth just by the nature of uh, the town it was. When I was doing my PhD, I lived just outside the docks in Aberdeen. I had to cycle through the docks every day on the way to work. I'm well aware of what goes on Mm -hmm. in docklands. And Corinth was was a a port city. Paul zeroes in on these sins as being particularly heinous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to be honest, every man is going to struggle, probably pretty much every man. Every man I know and have ever spoken to or ever counseled struggles to some extent with lustful thoughts. Mm-hmm. And every man needs to repent of those and needs yeah. to put them to death and seek the Lord's help in dealing with those. But not every man commits adultery. Right. And, and we shouldn't act as though Every man who's had a lustful thought um, has caused as much damage as the one who's committed adultery because yeah. he hasn't. And that, that's yeah. not a statement that comes out of self-righteousness yeah. um, because, as you say, Carl, all men need to be aware of their vulnerabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the fact is the act of adultery is not only uniquely damaging to the relationships in that man's life, as Amy has pointed out, his wife and his children – but the theological implications, I mean, when Paul says you've joined Christ to a harlot, it's clear he is saying something deeply uh, theological is happening in adultery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something is happening to, to the name and the reputation of Christ right. in that moment. And I don't want to just beat up on the men here, because um, this is a, a problem for women, too. I know men are known to be more visual um, and fall easier that way, but there are plenty of women out there having affairs, plenty mm-hmm. of women committing adultery, and, and plenty of women luring married men <coughs> away. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to just beat up on the men here, either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, clearly where where a man is, a, is committing adultery and you know, the overwhelming uh, percentage of that is with, you know, a woman, you know, there's a woman involved. And so the, the, the sin is clearly shared um, by both, uh, by both genders. And, and, you know, I've, I've had men in my office who've destroyed their marriage from adultery. And I've had women in my office who've destroyed their marriage through adultery. And it's equally damaging, yeah. equally as, uh, as sinful and destructive and heartbreaking. And it points to the need for constant vigilance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there are occasionally people who will go out one morning and by even time, 
they've committed adultery and they never anticipated it. Maybe mm-hmm. they've gone to a bar and they had too much to drink. Right. They picked up a girl and they've gone back to a hotel, done something they shouldn't have done. But I'm guessing that 99 times out mm-hmm. of 100, physical adultery comes at the end of an extended pattern of mm-hmm. delinquency and degeneration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, developing think- an inappropriate friendship with a woman you shouldn't have a friendship mm-hmm. with, being in places you shouldn't be, watching right. things you shouldn't watch. Right. Uh, you know, the ministry friends I had who've committed adultery, I would never have believed they'd do it. Mm-hmm. And I suspect if you asked them, they would have said that five, ten years ago, they would never believe right. they would have right. done it. Right. And, it. and it points out again the necessity of paying attention um, to our Christ-likeness. Mm-hmm. You know, concerns over piety. I mean, we have to go there. And, and when, when a man fails to do that, when a woman fails to do that, um, we shouldn't be surprised that five years of inattention to one's Christ-likeness um, can lead to some devastating choices down the road. Uh, again, I think you're right, Carl. The, 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 typically, a person doesn't wake up one morning and think, wow, today would be a great day to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. But, but it comes as a part of a whole complex of sins, rationalizations, justifications, inattention to his life in prayer and in godliness. I think that goes back to what Christ was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, too. I mean, there are so many sins that take place in your mind Mm -hmm. and in your thoughts and fantasizing or uh, inappropriate relationships, all these different things before, you know, we're not animals Mm-hmm. Before yep. we, and so I kind of get tired of of men being talked about like they're animals sure. too, yeah, ex- because it, there's there's this point. long process before yeah. you commit adultery. Yeah, yeah, it's a gr- it, that's a great point, and and there should be no justification or rationalization for it. So you know, if a pastor commits adultery, he should never say, "Well, my wife did it first, and in my grief, I was driven into the arms of another." That's absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to rationalize it that way. Or, you know, my wife has not met my, my physical needs. And this, you know, I think about Charles Spurgeon and B.B. Warfield, both of whom had wives who became invalids soon after they were married. And they were faithful to those women who could not, quote, meet their needs for the vast majority of their marriage. Yeah. We need yeah. men who are willing, and women, who are willing to take those vows yeah. seriously, for better or for worse. So practical suggestions then. Let's let's think of some practical guidelines to to help us all avoid these things because you know, I remember a couple of years ago when a ministry friend fell and another of my ministry friends said to me, you know, I always believed I could have done it. I never would have believed that he yeah. could do it. We we're all we're all a potential period of time away from committing this heinous sin. Nobody mm-hmm. is naturally immune to yeah. it in this fallen world. So what can we do to to prevent it, take for, what steps women, can we take to stop for it? For women, I always advise that if you are having issues in your marriage and you feel the need to talk to somebody, seek out a wise woman. Mm-hmm. Because if you start sharing that with your male friends or mm-hmm. uh, people that you trust as a man, that's an intimate thing. And that, that male friend can then become uh, begin to look like somebody who understands you in a way that your husband doesn't. And I think that is an, an easy way for a woman to fall. It would be a stumbling block for him, yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. I think if yeah. somebody of the opposite sex comes up to you and starts a conversation with the phrase, my spouse doesn't understand me, you yeah. need to run as fast as you right. can in the opposite <laughs> direction. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the reasons I don't set up, quote, counseling relationships with women. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take an appointment. The door remains open, but I won't set up a counseling relationship with a woman. For one thing, I'm not a trained counselor. I'll give advice. I'll offer counsel from the word, but I can't take the risk of forming an emotional attachment that is um, inappropriate. You know, the other thing I would say is that so often when you hear from pastors that have fallen to adultery, one of the things that among those who are honest afterwards, that they will tell you that at some point, and this goes back to a point you made earlier, Carl, there, there became a real inattention to those ordinary means of grace that the Lord has given us to grow. So, I mean, it's just ubiquitous to hear from these men. They had stopped praying. They had stopped spending time in the Word. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds really boring and unspectacular, so evangelicals will hate this counsel. But one it's of the so things simple. that, yeah, one of these things we have to do to guard ourselves from adultery is to be in prayer and in fellowship with the Lord in the Word every day. We have to be pursuing Him like that. Again, unspectacular, but it's pretty predictable. And particularly important for ministers, because one of the things I miss now that I'm a pastor is constantly sitting under the word. As yeah. a pastor, you're typically not sitting under the mm-hmm. word. And that there are, there, there are many drawbacks to that, but one of them is that word from outside is not coming to you as right. it comes to others. So there's a sense in which pastors may be particularly vulnerable for a variety of reasons, but one of them is they're not sitting under the word. Mm-hmm. I would also add that a pastor should typically make himself accountable in any of the ways that he's going to advise his congregants to make themselves accountable. Um, You know, if you're telling people that they should have covenant eyes on their computer and they should Mm -hmm. have somebody viewing their internet activities, then you as a pastor should have that. Uh, Partly to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And partly, I think, as, as an acknowledgement that, that your heart is, is as weak as the heart of the people that you are, you are counseling. Right. Uh, yeah. Have some, have some intrusive relationships. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got uh, the, the, the session that I'm a part of is a terrific group of men, godly men. Um, in fact, today I'm having lunch, a monthly standing lunch appointment with two of the members of my session mm-hmm. who are specifically assigned to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, again, we, we can all lie and we can deceive. But, but again, we're talking about a complex of things to add to your life that okay. help to safeguard. And that's one of those ingredients mm-hmm. yeah. that are really important for me. And just as simple as communication with your spouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, often, you know, um, women who come to me and, you know, have issues um, that they want to complain about, I'll ask, how, well, have you talked to your husband about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... They, they haven't. <laughs> so I think, wow. Um, you know, maybe you want some advice on how to bring it up or, you know, how to frame the conversation or whatever. But um, the fact is, there's a lot of non-communication going on in marriages that right. we should have a habit of doing. Yeah. And I, and I would say, and I would say to, to women who might struggle, I'd say, listen, please keep in mind that your, your life and your marriage is not a romantic movie. And I would say to husbands, please keep in mind that, that, your, that your wife is not your slave um, and that her full-time job is to not make sure that you're always completely sated and satisfied. That would be interestingly controversial teaching in some aspects of the full world, I suspect. Yeah, somebody, somebody ought to blog about that. I don't know. Somebody maybe, out there maybe, is going to accuse you of having defamed somebody or something. <laughs> maybe, if, maybe if there was a woman blogger and a male blogger who could write some posts about how yeah. women aren't the, the slaves of their husbands. I don't know. 
<laughs> but I'm just yeah. spitballing here. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Great. Well, that's uh, hopefully this has been a practical very practical podcast for for the listeners. We certainly don't present ourselves here as those who are uh, teaching others. I think this has been a conversation which the three of us have tried to to learn from and and benefit from as well because adultery is no respecter of IQ, theological qualification, office in the church or status in society. Adultery is a function of this fallen world and it is one of the devil's most attractive and most lethally seductive ploys for shipwrecking the testimony of a believer. I think even those who repent of adultery and are restored to fellowship in the Christian church, their testimony is always fundamentally weakened by this particularly deadly and public sin. So we trust that this has been helpful to you. And we pray that uh, some of the practical advice might have, well, might perhaps save some of you from engaging in what could be very, very destructive behavior. Until the next podcast, we wish you well. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download the Westminster Assembly on Marriage and Divorce by Richard Gamble. Next episode, the gang, apparent gluttons for punishment, take on the topic of children's education. So, um, obviously, we all know that uh, for Christians, there's only one option for educating uh, your children, correct? What's that? Uh, well, it's just homeschooling, and that's it. Oh, okay. Um, all other options are government conspiracies spearheaded by the Illuminati, enforced by the Knights Templar, in order to destroy the family. I think the discussion's over at this point. Hear more next time on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to read more from Carl, Amy, and Todd throughout the week. So are we waiting on Todd? I'm here. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh, there you are. I see you. <laughs> hey, man, you were pretty quiet on taking on the uh, loony complementarians. <laughs> well, I, I, I posted once. <laughs> yeah, kind of Clintonian triangulation. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Just be the Bill Clinton of the mortification of spin. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> no. Actually... I've been thinking, but uh, what uh, to, to write a lengthier post, and I just have not had time. But uh, no, I mean, I figure um, 
since I'm associated with y'all, I'm going to carry your bad reputation with me, you know, whether you like it or not. I think you probably do. <laughs> um, Let me just go and grab my Bible. I'll be back in a second. Is that the new language for pee break? Yeah, I'm going to get my Bible. 